God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship. And we are coming to you tonight. We had not originally planned, we had not originally planned on uh, doing a, a Good Friday uh, service. Well, not service, but you know, teaching session. But then after I woke up this morning and I realized it was Good Friday, I said, well, you know, I need to continue talking about the Lord. I had originally planned on coming back to you on Sunday because remember we were together last night uh, at 8 p.m. And we began talking about how can we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after studying 1 John. We've already studied 1 John. And so now we're going back uh, through it we're from a different angle. How can we grow in grace? And when we think of grace, we think of G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. How can we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever? Because if we read the Word of God, or if we hear the Word of God, if we study the Word of God, and we don't apply the Word of God to our lives, we have not accomplished anything. If we read the Word of God, if we study the Word of God, if we go to church and hear the Word of God, and then we don't apply it to our lives, the Bible says it's just like looking into a mirror and then walking away from the mirror and forgetting what you've seen. So what we want to do here is after we spend a few weeks going through 1 John, which is toward the end of the Bible, it's, the, it's written by the same apostle who wrote St. John and who wrote the book of Revelation and the second epistle and third epistle of John. So John wrote five books of the New Testament. We went through 1 John and now we're saying, how do we uh, grow in grace? How do we grow? Because you want to grow, just like I gave the analogy last night of my grandson. He's four years old. He's not eating the same food he was eating when he was four days old. He's not wearing the same clothing that he wore when he was four days old or four months old or two years old or even three years old when he first turned three because he's getting uh, taller. His mother's mother's side of the family, my wife, a lot of them are tall. They're, the men on that side of the family are often 6'5", 6'6", 6'7". My son, uh, I, um, I married his mother when uh, he was about around 18 years old. He's 6'4". So my grandson looks like he's going to also be kind of tall and lanky, at least 6 feet, possibly 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". We don't know yet, but he's getting to be tall and lanky, long legs. He can't wear the same clothing that he could wear a year ago, two years ago, four years ago, when he was born March 12, 2016. Because he has grown. And he has grown gracefully. So the Bible says, grow in grace, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what we want to do is we want to take that same physical growth pattern and we want to apply it to ourselves spiritually. I've been saved uh, 40 years, 40, it'll be 41 years in May. If I'm at the same spiritual level in, in, um, uh, now that I was 40, 41 years ago, 
There's something wrong. And it's not the Lord's fault. There's no fault with the Lord. Even Pontius Pilate, before he crucified him, before he sent Jesus to be crucified, even Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. I'll, I'll let him go. And the, and the Jews, because they hated him so much, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They said, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king is not a friend of Caesar. And when Pilate heard that, he was intimidated and he sent Jesus to be crucified. Of course, we know it was all in God's divine plan. It was God's foreordained plan for Jesus to be crucified because someone had to pay for our sins. And whoever paid for our sins couldn't be a sinner. No sinner can pay for the sins of sinners. It can't happen. A, a person who's broke can't pay the debts of another broke person. So whoever paid for our sins had to be better than we are. Because we were all born in sin. According to Romans 5 and 12, the Bible says, By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all, for all have sinned. And so whoever paid for our sins had to be someone who's spotless, who was not even born in sin. There's only one individual who meets that um, qualification. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not born in sin like you and me. Born of the, uh, of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Walked the earth for 33 years. Willingly laid down his life for our friends. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself and I take it up again. I have received this commandment from my Father. So when you see Jesus crucified on the cross on that on that. Uh, terrible Friday evening, Friday afternoon, Friday evening. When you see Jesus crucified on the cross, it looks like man has control of his destiny. Pontius Pilate even said himself, don't you know I have power to release you and power to have you crucified? Pilate thought he was in control. No, it was God in control, allowing Pontius Pilate to carry out his, God's will, in the fact that he, it was God's will that his son Jesus die on the cross for our sins. That's what Good Friday is all about. So hello, everybody. We thank God for you. And we're, we're hoping that you're having a blessed Good Friday. We know because of the coronavirus that things are not the same. But let me say this to you. The original church met in homes. <laughs> the original church met in, in, in homes and in Jewish synagogues because the original Christians were Jews. So the original church didn't meet in big mega churches with big you know water fountains and all that. The original church met in homes, and they were often huddled together for fear of, the, uh, of, of something outside. Not a virus, but the Roman and Jewish authorities. So, you know, people are, you know, why can't we go to church on Easter? You can't go to church on Easter because if you go to church on Easter, you might not live to see the next Easter. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ, uh, those of us who believe in him, he dwells in our hearts. So the fact that he dwells in our hearts, we can, we can skip this Easter going to church. Lord willing, we can go to church next Easter. But truth be told, every Sunday is the resurrection day. Because Jesus rose from the dead on the, third, on the first day of the week, after the Jewish Sabbath. So every Sunday really is resurrection Sunday. I know some people say Easter is resurrection Sunday. I don't buy into that. 
I don't buy into one Sunday a year being Resurrection Sunday. I just don't buy into that. Call me strange. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday because every Sunday represents the first day of the week when Jesus, our Lord and Savior, bodily rose from the dead. So the fact that we can't go to church on Easter, that doesn't intimidate me. Number two, Easter is not a Christian holiday. or Traditionally, it's not a Christian holiday. Easter was a pagan holiday. So, you know, we're all bent out of shape because we can't go to church on Easter. No, Easter is mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Acts. But it originally was not a Christian holiday. So let us know that Jesus Christ dwells within our hearts if we believe in him. If we don't believe in him, he wants to dwell within our hearts. He wants to dwell within our hearts. There's a scripture in 1 Peter. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I want to get back to what my original purpose. But there's a scripture in 1 Peter. Peter says, talking about Jesus, he says, Whom having not seen, you love. He's speaking to people who've never seen Jesus. Most Christians have never seen Jesus. The only Christians who've seen Jesus were those first century Christians, the original apostles and the original disciples. They saw Jesus before he ascended back to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Then he made a couple of cameo appearances while uh, uh, to, to Paul on the road to Damascus to a disciple named Ananias. So most Christians have never seen Jesus, but, Jesus, but Peter said it doesn't matter whether you've seen him or not. Peter said, having not seen him, you love him. Now, how can we love someone we've never seen because of his supernatural presence in our hearts and in our lives? Peter said, having not seen him, yet you love him. I always use the analogy of most people who get married and let's say one of the people lives in, one of the persons lives in California and one lives in New York. One is a movie star, one is an athlete or whatever. Normally those marriages don't survive because of the absence there's an old saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder, but too much absence can make the heart wander. So normally when one lives in California and one lives in Florida or New York, normally those marriages don't fare well because of the absence. But in the case of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's been gone for 2,000 years, yet we love him. We love him just as much as his apostles and original disciples do. Why? Because his presence dwells within us. If his presence didn't dwell within us, we wouldn't love him that way. But because his supernatural presence dwells within us, Peter said it, 1 Peter 1.8, Whom having not seen, you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice. Christians today can rejoice just as much as the Christians 2,000 years ago. Why? Because the supernatural presence of Jesus Christ is in our hearts. Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So the fact that we can't go to church or shouldn't go to church this Easter, fear not, my beloved. Jesus Christ dwells within us. He dwells within our hearts. And if we play it smart and, and practice our social distancing, etc., then we can live to see next Easter if the Lord doesn't come back first. But physical buildings do not hinder the Lord from manifesting his presence in our lives. There, there, there are too many examples in the Bible and in too many people's lives to say otherwise. John wrote the book of Revelation from the Isle of Patmos. 
he had been banished to the Isle of Patmos by the Roman emperor because John wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. He wouldn't stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. So the emperor, um, Domitian, banished him to the Isle of Patmos. Guess what? Domitian was thinking he had gotten rid of John. You can't, you can't, you, 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 you can't stop God from, God is a spirit. You cannot stop him from manifesting his presence. John is on the Isle of Patmos, and guess what? The Lord comes to him on the Isle of Patmos, and John ends up writing the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King was in jail in Birmingham, Alabama. The segregationists thought they'd gotten rid of him. He writes letter from the Birmingham jail. You, you, you can't, just because you physically confine someone or physically banish someone, physically vanquish someone, you can't stop the moving of God's Holy Spirit because God is spirit. You cannot stop the moving of his Holy, even after Jesus rose from the dead and his disciples, <coughs> excuse me, his disciples were huddled together for fear. He came into a room where they were. He didn't even knock on the door. He just came into the room. He didn't even, he didn't knock on the door. He just came into the room. Glory to the Lamb of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't stop the presence of the Lord. You cannot stop the presence of the Lord. So though you may not be in a physical building on Sunday, and I hope you're not, I hope you're not among these other brethren uh, who say we're going to church anyway on Sunday. I hope that's not you. You can listen online, whether it's to your pastor or to me. You can listen to somebody online. I, I, I do my Sunday uh, teaching at 11 a.m. So if you don't want to listen to me, if, you, if your pastor is going to be online, uh, etc., you can go to church online. Jesus Christ, <laughs> he, can, he dwells within us. So anyway, having said that, let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We glorify you. We praise you. We magnify you. We ask, Lord, that you continue to comfort the church. Help us, Lord, to remain in unity, remain strengthened and encouraged. Father, we pray for those churches that love your son. We pray for those pastors, those leaders, those followers, Lord. We pray as they, as they gather together online, Lord, uh, virtually, Lord. We pray that you'll bless them, continue to bless them financially, that they may be sustained. Bless them spiritually by Jesus Christ. We pray for this nation for the leadership, that leadership would look to you and not to political considerations. We pray by Jesus Christ that this preaching and teaching as well as preaching and teaching all over the world will bear fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Help me speak the truth to your people, Lord. Help me to speak the truth without error. And I pray that your people will be encouraged and lifted up, Lord. I pray that sinners will be saved and that Christians will be encouraged. In these last and evil days, by Jesus Christ, we thank you for the privilege of mentioning your name. Amen. All right. As I said, we, uh, we, we're, 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 we're saying, how do we grow in grace? And the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, if you again, if you read the Bible and you, and you just walk away and don't, and don't apply it to your life, you have not accomplished anything. So we're going to pick up where we left off last night at chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. As true believers, we grow in grace. And remember, grace, and I'm going to mention this every now and then, grace is G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense, meaning Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. 
sin had left a crimson stain. Jesus, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He has washed it as white as snow. So, G-R-A-C-E, I want you to remember that. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. No matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it. Matter of fact, the dirtier your life, the more Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus said those who've done the most wrong, they're the ones who are going to love me the most because they've been forgiven for the most. So as filthy and as dirty, Jesus, he wants, he wants them dirty. He wants them filthy. You live a dirty, filthy, perverted life, Jesus wants you. He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me. As true believers, we grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, and knowledge when we invest time and resources into building a solid spiritual foundation. We have to have a solid spiritual foundation. Just like a house, a building has to have a solid foundation. I remember they built this house. There was this house that was built to withstand a, a Category 5 hurricane. And sure enough, Michael, Hurricane Michael came along. And if you see that house, it, when you get a chance, go on uh, Google um, house that withstood Hurricane Michael. There's going to be this house. It was built to withstand a Category 5 hurricane. Uh, I think Michael was like almost two years ago. That house withstood that hurricane because it was built with a solid foundation. And then everything that was built on that, on, on that foundation was also solid. So we have to invest time and resources into building a solid spiritual foundation. Then once that solid foundation is laid in Jesus Christ, for well, the Bible says other foundation can nobody lay than, than that which is laid, Paul said, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the church. You, you cannot remove the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. We have to be careful how we build on that foundation because you can build a house to withstand a Category 5 hurricane and you can have a good foundation, but if your building materials that go on top of the foundation are shoddy, then you're going to be in trouble. So once that solid foundation is laid in Jesus Christ, we are to allow others as well as ourselves to build on that solid foundation. The Holy Apostle John, who wrote 1 John, mentions an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. While he doesn't specifically state what that commandment is, we do know that it has to be one that directs our love, faith, and total obedience toward God and his dear son, Jesus Christ our Lord. John says you've had to, John said you had an old commandment. It is the word which you had from the beginning. And the word is going to always point to Jesus. Both Old and New Testaments. The, the, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. So whether it's Old or New Testament, they both point to Jesus. He's just more specifically stated. He's just more specifically revealed in the New Testament. But John says, you have that word from the beginning. We commonly grow if we realize that hatred toward others is antithetical to our high Christian calling. You cannot say that you love God and that you're a believer in Jesus and you hate other people. We're supposed to hate sin. We're not supposed to hate people. And John, John here is specifically talking about other believers, the household of faith. If we harbor hatred toward others, especially believers in Jesus, we are in darkness even until now. 
You cannot say that you love God and you hate me. I cannot say that I love God and I hate you because of who you are, because of how you look. I can't. It's, it's, it, you can't. The Bible says you cannot say you love God whom you've never seen and you hate your brother whom you have seen. All right. So if we harbor hatred toward others, especially believers in Jesus, we are in darkness even until now. For by love do we demonstrate that we have accepted our most holy calling in Christ. Paul himself said, if I have all these gifts and I know all the mysteries of the, of the, of the Bible, of the, of the spirit, in the spiritual world. Paul said, if I have not love, he said, I'm nothing. If I have these prophetic gifts and can speak in tongues and lay hands on the sick and heal and do all these things that are associated with the Holy Spirit. Paul said, if I have not love, he says, I'm just a bunch of noise. He says, I'm talking loud, but I ain't saying nothing. And that's, in, that's from 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about the prevalence, the importance of love. All right, verses uh, 10 and 11, 1 John chapter 2. We stumble less and less when we walk in the light of Christ's love. So as a Christian, the more you walk in the, love of, in the light of Christ's gospel, the less and less you're going to be ensnared by sin. The devil's going to try to ensnare you. He tried to ensnare Jesus. The devil's going to try to ensnare you, but the more you walk in, in the light of Christ's gospel, which that light is found in his word and through prayer and through obedience, the more you walk in the light of Christ's gospel, the less and less you're going to stumble. If I'm still stumbling the same way after I've been saved 40, almost 41 years, and I'm still stumbling and bumbling over the same stuff that I was stumbling over when I first got saved, there's a problem there, and the problem's not with the Lord. The problem is with me. I'm being self-willed. I'm being stubborn. I don't want to... I don't want to. I don't want to walk in sanctification. Sanctification means being set aside for God's holy purpose in this world. So we stumble less and less when we walk in the light of Christ's love, Christ's gospel. When we walk in the light of His love and forgiveness, because hatred blinds us. Hatred blinds us and causes us to stumble and injure our Christian testimony for Christ. You say you love the Lord and you, you, you letting other people know you love the Lord and then they find out that you, that you hate people. They find out that you hate your brother. You, your testimony is nothing. You have, you have no testimony because Jesus himself said, by, all, by this shall all know that you are my disciples if you love each other. Notice he didn't say, by this shall all know that you're my disciples if you have the biggest church, if your pastor has the prettiest robe. If your choir sings, uh, sings the best, if you raise the most money every Sunday, if this, if that, if that, if this. Jesus said, by this shall all know that you are my disciples, my followers, my students, my disciplined followers. By this shall all know that you are my disciples if you have love. Agape love, divine love, biblical love for one another. Verses 12 through 14, 1 John chapter 2. We can only grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We can only grow in grace and Christian knowledge in proportion to the confidence we have that Jesus Christ, God's dear son, is the final and only solution to our sin problem. 
You cannot grow in grace if you're trying to find the solution to your sin outside of Jesus Christ. You're wasting your time. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It was Jesus. He's the final solution for our sins. The Bible says he is the atonement for our sins. He's the one that puts us at one, at one with God. He's the one who reconciles us to God. He's the one that says to God, he's the one that allows us to come to God. We can't come to God except by Jesus Christ. He said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father. Jesus said it himself. He said, nobody can come to the Father except by me. Jesus is the final and only solution. But the devil wants to throw all these other solutions at you. He wants, the devil wants to confuse you. He wants you to think that you can get saved or be acceptable in God's sight in any way you, you feel. The devil wants you to believe that. He's trying to deceive you. He has deceived billions, billions literally billions of people. The devil doesn't mind you being spiritual. He doesn't want you to be sanctified. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The devil doesn't mind you being spiritual. He doesn't want you to be sanctified, meaning he doesn't want you to be set apart for God's holy purpose. You can only be set apart for God's holy purpose through God's holy word. Jesus said, sanctify them, Father. Before he went to the cross, he said to the Father when he was praying in John 17, he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we can only grow in grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And Christian knowledge in proportion to the confidence. John writes to give his to give his hearers. John writes to give his hearers confidence. Because even as Christians, our confidence is going to be tested. And our confidence can wane and sway, and we can we can lose heart. We can become discouraged. John writes, if you read the first epistle, John writes to give his hearers confidence that they are saved, that they are loved, that they are loved by God, that they are beloved, and that they have an anointing on the inside of them. They have the presence of Jesus that I talked about earlier on the inside of them. He, he writes to give them confidence as a pastor would try to give confidence to his flock. So we can only grow in grace and Christian knowledge in proportion to the confidence we have in that Jesus Christ, God's dear son, is the final and only solution to our sin problem. Jesus died on the cross to answer the sin problem, answer the sin question. What shall wash away my sins? The answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, the father was satisfied that the sin issue had been settled. If we try to find continued redemption somewhere else or through someone else, we have forsaken our only means of obtaining and walking in God's amazing grace. Jesus is the one perfect, one final perfect sacrifice for our sins. There's no other sacrifice for our sins. There's, there, there was a group of Christians in the book of Hebrews. They were undergoing intense persecution. They were thinking about going back into Judaism they said, here, here was their reasoning. If we go back into Judaism, then when things die down, we can come back and get saved again. That's why you have Hebrews chapter 6. And Paul had to let them know, you can't get saved again. You can only get saved one time. 
go through the persecution and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So John, as Paul did, John writes to give his readers, and he, of course he's by extension speaking to us, he writes to give them confidence that Jesus is our only hope for salvation. We grow and we realize, recognize, and respect the fact that God has placed elders over us, spiritual fathers and mothers, who have, who have through the years built up a solid relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in our youth-oriented culture, you know, the United States especially, we're a very youth-oriented culture. We, we, we want everything young and pretty and fast and those things that are older, like I'm 63, though. The, the people who are older, 63, 70s, 80s, we kind of cast them aside. Y'all too old and slow. Get out of the way. But it is we who have the wisdom of years of experience. Young, youth is good. <laughs> youth is good. Young and pretty is good. But young and pretty doesn't get you through the things that we have to get through as a Christian. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding get us through those things. So even in our youth-oriented culture, we must count them as treasure houses. We must count the older people as treasure houses of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You, we make a big mistake if we forsake the wisdom of the elders and only listen to the young. The young don't have the experience. They have the strength. They have the physical strength. They have the good looks, etc. And they have many good ideas. But you're going to get your principal wisdom is going to be from the older people who've been around for a while, who've made many mistakes and who have learned from those mistakes. So here I'm talking mostly about the older people in the church. They're going to have the wisdom of the years. So if, if you prefer to listen to somebody who's 25 over somebody who's 65 or 75, that's probably a big mistake. It's not saying don't listen to somebody 25, but if you have to make a choice when you have to um, have wisdom to make decisions, if you prefer to listen to somebody 20 or 25 over somebody who's 60, 70, or 80, you're probably making a big mistake. A person 20, year, 20 years old, 25, they don't have that wisdom. They haven't lived long enough. We make a grievous mistake when we try to shut our elders up or shut them away because they no longer look like we think they should or because they offer a different perspective than we do or because they may not possess the education. Many of the older people didn't get a chance to go to school like you, like you did, right? They may not possess the education that some of us possess, yet they are often light years wiser than we are. See, we have all the education and all the student debt. <laughs> we have all the education and all the student debt. They have the wisdom. We got a lot of head knowledge and a lot of student debt. They have the wisdom. We've got, you know, all the paper on the wall, bachelor's, master's, doctorate, student debt. <laughs> they have the wisdom. All right. Likewise, we also make a grievous mistake when we neglect the strength, the gifts, and the perspectives of the young. We should. We should listen to the perspectives of the young. They're the next generation. They're the next church. So we should listen to the young, many of whom have overcome the wicked one. There are many young people who are serving the Lord. 
and they've overcome the wicked one. The, the wicked one may have had them until they were 18 or 20. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 22. So, so there are many young people who have made a firm decision for Christ, and I hope that you are one of them. There are many young people who've made a firm decision for Christ. And they are striving. They're stumbling here and there, but they're striving to overcome Satan, the wicked one. Just again, I was 22 when I got saved. And I strive and I stumble and I strive and I stumble and I stumble and I strive and I stumble, stumble, strive, strive. So the young, there are many young people who love the Lord. Some of them got saved when they were 8, 10 years old, 12, 15 16, 18, 8, 7. I was 22. So there are many young people who love the Lord and they're striving and they're, 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 they're forming the bedrock of the next generation church. Though. And the many of them will end up being leaders in the church, etc. Some of them may see the second coming of Christ when Christ comes back for the church. All right. Verses 15 through 17, 1 John chapter 2. We grow in grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We grow in grace and knowledge when we end our carnal love affair with this wicked world. We grow in grace when we end our carnal love affair with this wicked world. This is a wicked world. The Bible says it. I didn't say it. The Bible says the whole world lies under the power of the wicked one. The wicked one is Satan. The whole world. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. But that defeat has not yet fully played out. Has not fully manifested itself. Before Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, there were no viruses. There were no plagues. There was no tuberculosis. There was no HIV AIDS. There was no bird avi, um, avi, uh, um, um, avi, uh, um, bird flu. I'm trying to say aviary bird flu. There was no H1N1 flu before the earth fell into the chaos of sin. There was no herpes. There was no Ebola. There was no coronavirus before the earth fell under the sway of Satan. The Bible calls Satan the prince of this world, lowercase p. Jesus is the prince of princes. Satan is the prince of this world. Before Satan uh, fooled Adam and Eve in the sinning in the Garden of Eden, we didn't have these plagues, these problems. There was no murder. Cain, it was, it was after um, sin came into the world that, that Cain murdered his brother Abel. It was after these things that all the problems you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament and today, it was after sin came into the world. People say, you know, why are these, why are these viruses, etc.? Where's God? The earth is fallen. We live on a fallen earth, and because the earth is fallen, many things are going to happen on the earth and to the earth. And these things were predicted in the Bible. Go to Luke twenty-one eleven when you get a chance. Jesus said, in the last days there would be plagues, there would be pestilences, there would be earthquakes in many places. The sea would be roaring and men's hearts would be failing them for fear. These things are not happening without God's foreknowledge. The earth is fallen. That's why the Lord comes to save us, to call us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But the earth is fallen. God is the same place he's always been. He's sitting high and looking low. But the earth is fallen. 
the earth is fucked. Why are the most popular shows on TV shows about homicide? Because the earth is fallen. And I have to admit myself, my favorite show is Law and Order. Somebody's always getting killed on you don't you can't watch Law and Order without somebody getting killed. But our favorite shows, Forensic Files, Law and Order, Chicago PD, How to Get Away with Murder. Notice, because the earth is fallen, we tend to gravitate toward that kind of stuff. The ID channel. There was a show on, I don't know if it still is, called For My Man, where women would commit atrocious crimes for their boyfriend. They would, they would do things like, you know, go down and get drugs and, 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 and transport kilos of drugs for my man. They would always end up getting caught, etc. But my point is, the earth is fallen. That's why we have all the problems, viruses, plagues, famines, uh, 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 pestilences, wars, rumors of wars. Earthquakes, the earth is falling and the earth will continue to fall. This is a downward spiral. We may have periods of peace and rest and prosperity. The earth is in a downward spiral and it will continue to be that way until the restoration of the earth. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter 3 and in many other places that there will be a new, a new heaven and a new earth after this present earth is destroyed. The earth has fallen and it's in a downward spiral. And the Lord Jesus says, come out from among them and be separate and, and don't be a partaker of, of, of the evil of the world because we're going to be with Jesus. But the, earth, but the earth is in a downward spiral. Even if the coronavirus, we find a vaccine just like we found a vaccine for polio, uh, etc. But the uh, uh, human papilloma uh, virus, which is a virus that afflicts women and causes women to get cervical cancer, etc. Even though we find uh, 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 cures and near cures, now we have drugs that you can take where your HIV is barely detectable. It's, it's, it's called a cocktail where you take these, this uh, mixture of drugs and your HIV is almost gone. Even though we have these things, the earth is still in a downward spiral. And it will be so until the Lord renews the earth. And when he renews the earth, we will reign with him forever. All right. We grow in grace and knowledge when we end our carnal love affair with this wicked world. Here, the holy apostle John is not telling us to hate the earth. He's not saying hate the earth, the trees, the flowers, the brooks, the lakes, the oceans. He's saying hate this world system. The, he's saying hate this cosmos. The Greek word for world here is cosmos. He's saying hate this world system. Because this world system is corrupt. It's run by Satan. It's ruled by Satan. And the Lord is allowing it to be so until his fullness of time when he takes Satan and casts Satan in the lake of fire forever and ever. John is not saying hate the earth, hate the rivers, hate the flowers, hate the roses, hate the trees, hate the beaches, hate the beauty. He's not saying that. He says hate the wicked world system that seeks to rule over us. The holy, the holy Apostle is telling us, is not telling us to hate the earth and its accompanying beauty, the heavens and all the creation of God. No, he is telling us to forsake the ungodliness of this age. So when he says, love not the world, that Greek word is cosmos. It's not the Greek word for earth. The Greek word for earth is like a little three-letter word that I can't remember how to pronounce it. 
but but the word used here is cosmos. Hate this age. Hate this corrupt system. Hate the sin that has infested a religion and politics where men want to open back up the economy even though we don't have a test for the coronavirus. Men, because of their greed, they want to open the, let's open the economy back up so we can get back to work. See, that's, that's that selfishness that's in the world. Even though we don't even have a test. We don't know. Who, I could be infected and don't even know it. You could be infected. Don't even know it. We don't have a test. See, that's that selfish greed that John says. Hate that. He didn't say hate the people. He said, but hate that world system, that corrupted world system. Those temporary things, those, those the Bible calls them principalities and powers. Those principalities and powers that maliciously uh, have aligned themselves against our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Those principalities and powers that have maliciously aligned themselves against our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read the second psalm to you. And the reason I'm going to read the second psalm is because the second psalm talks about how the kings of this world have aligned themselves against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, listen to the second psalm. It's going to talk about how the world powers align themselves against the Lord, but how the Lord is going to defeat them. And since the Lord is going to defeat those wicked uh, kings and world powers and systems that align themselves against him, because we are with the Lord. The Bible says we're heirs with, with, with uh, Christ. We're heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. So since we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ, because Christ will, will defeat the wicked world system, that means we will do the same because we belong to him. He is the head and we are the body. Let me read the second psalm to you. It's not a long psalm. Why do the nations, why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? The word vain means empty, something that's not going to um, be successful. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who's his anointed? Jesus Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart. See, the rulers of this world, they don't want to come under kingdom authority. Let us tear their fetters apart. Let us get out from under this rule of God, being ruled by Christ. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury saying, but as for me, I have installed my king. Who is his king? Jesus. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Zion, of course, is a name for Israel. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. So since the Lord Jesus will inherit the nations, guess what? We will inherit the nations because we are joint heirs with Christ. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Everything the Father is going to give to Jesus, guess what? We're going to share in it, because we are heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, all you rulers of the world who think you're so high and mighty. Now therefore, O kings, second Psalm, 10th verse. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. That's why when we pray, the Bible commands us to pray for those who are in authority. Pray for leaders, that they will make wise decisions, not just political decisions. Pray that a leader will not say, let's open up the economy again, because that leader is under pressure from business people and even from religious people who are losing billions and billions of dollars. And that, and that political person is under that pressure, and that person wants to open up the economy again because of the money that's being lost to these, these business leaders who just got a big tax break barely a year ago. And now in, in the $2 trillion stimulus bill, there's another tax break for them. While we, the, the, the plebes, the slaves, we get a little $1,200 check, and that's supposed to make everything all right, even though your bills may come to four or $5,000 a month, you get a $1,200 check, which you have not even received yet, you see that? So pray that, 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 that leaders will make decisions based on godliness. Because there are a lot of leaders who, 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 who love the Lord. But they can be intimidated by circumstances and by political and religious expediency. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. And rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the sun. The King James says, kiss the sun, lest he be angry. This version I'm reading here is the New American Standard Bible. It says, do homage to the sun, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. But did you notice in the second Psalm, why, it says in the King James, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You see that? We, we cannot align ourselves with people who, who are trying to uh, uh, resist the rule, the kingdom rule of, of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's the king of kings. The Bible says he's the Lord of lords. And we want to align ourselves with him. If you want to have eternal victory. All right. So that was the second song. Because this world, this world is full of principalities. This world is full of power. Powers. This world is full of spiritual wickedness. In high places. This world is full of spiritual wickedness. In high places. I'm having a little technical difficulty right here. This world is full of uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 6. A very well, uh, a very well known uh, passage of scripture. And again, I'm having some technical difficulties here. So please uh, allow me to see if I can fix this problem right here. If you go back now, you lose all your changes. Okay, I don't want to lose all my changes, so I'll just leave that alone for now. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, be careful. He says, put on the whole armor of God. We've got to see how to, we're talking about growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We've got to put on the whole armor of God. We've got to be warriors for Jesus. Otherwise, we, we cannot grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He says, my, finally, my brethren. He says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. If you just put on half the armor of God, you're going to be defeated. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We grow in grace when we overcome the wiles. Satan is a wily old fella now. Sometimes he comes as a lion. He comes roaring. But more often than not, he comes as a snake. Very subtle. He slithers in very subtly. As a snake. Have, you ever, have you ever walked in your driveway or in your front yard and there was a snake? You didn't hear its arrival. Glory to God. You didn't hear that snake's arrival. You walked into your driveway. You walked in your backyard. Maybe you're into uh, you know, planting flowers. I used, I used to plant roses years ago. Ever-blooming hybrid tea roses. When I lived in Athens, Georgia. In Warner Robins. I used to love planting ever-blooming hybrid tea roses. Only thing I didn't like, the Japanese beetles would uh, always try to destroy them. But I, maybe you're into planting flowers. When you walk out in your flower bed one day to uh, trim the flowers or whatever, put some fertilizer, and there's a snake. The snake didn't announce its arrival. It's subtle. Satan, he doesn't always come as a lion, roaring. He often comes, more often than not. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field whom the Lord God had made. So in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says he deceived Eve through his subtlety. So Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, not the roaring, the wiles of the devil. Remember that cartoon, Wiley Coyote? He was always trying to get the road runner. Always trying to get the road runner. Oh, but he was called Wiley Coyote. He was always trying to get the road runner. Always trying to get the road runner. But Paul says that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. Paul says we don't wrestle against each other. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities. We, we wrestle against powers. And these principalities and powers often have their hooks in governments, even over whole cities, even over whole nations. There are, de there are demons that rule over whole cities and whole nations. There's biblical evidence for that. We won't go into it tonight, but there's, there's biblical evidence for that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul says we, we wrestle against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world. I told you that Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. But that defeat has not yet been fully manifested. Yes, he defeated Jesus at he defeated Satan at Calvary on Good Friday. But Satan has not yet been cast into the lake of fire. He's God is still allowing Satan to be the prince of this world. God is allowing it for his own reason. But one day, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, Satan 
will be cast into the lake of fire and will be there forever with the beast and the false prophet and, all, and also with all those who reject Jesus Christ. They will be there forever. Imagine having Satan as your neighbor forever. That's got to be the most terrible thing. But the Bible says all who reject Jesus Christ will, will forever live in the lake of fire with Satan, the beast, and the false prophet of the book of Revelation. You don't want to live with... You've had bad neighbors before, I'm sure. You've had bad neighbors. Well, multiply that by 10 gozillion. You don't want to live forever with Satan and, the, and, and his false apostles, his false prophets, his demons, and all those people who rejected Jesus Christ. You'll have to live with them forever. You don't want that. I know you don't want that. You want to live forever with the saints of God, with Jesus, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, with all the holy angels. And all, the, and all the holy redeemed from Israel and from the church. Paul says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, not half the armor, not three quarters of the armor. If we are going to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we must take the whole armor of God. He's going, to he's going to tell us here in a few verses what that whole armor is. We must take the whole armor of God. We, rule, we fight against spiritual wickedness. The Bible calls it wickedness. When the Bible calls something wicked, it's wicked. And it says in high places. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having your loins, that middle part of your body, right below your waist, having your loins girt about with truth. What Paul is describing is the, is the, um, the military outfit of the Roman soldier. So people back at that day would understand the analogy he was giving. He's, he's describing the Roman soldier's fighting outfit. Having your loins girt about with truth. He's using kind of like a metaphor, right? The Roman soldier's uh, military outfit is a metaphor for the Christian's uh, warfare attire. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Have on the breastplate of righteousness, not self-righteousness. Jesus died on the cross so that we could share in his righteousness. One of the most dangerous people in the world and one of the hardest persons to witness to is a self-righteous person. The breastplate of righteousness. We find righteousness through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Because we know him, we are righteous with God. The righteousness of God is, has been revealed without the law and the prophets. He says in Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God without the law and the prophets has been revealed. That righteousness is Jesus Christ. So when we believe on Jesus, the Bible says, when we believe on Jesus, what shall I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and your, and your house. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God imputes the righteousness of Jesus upon us. We are not righteous in ourselves. Jesus is righteous and his righteousness is, is imputed to us. I always use the analogy of uh, when a plane crashes, they look for 
survivors, but they also look for what's called the black box. But, the, but it's not black, it's really orange. But they call it the black box. It holds the data, what the plane, what the, what the pilot and the co-pilot were doing then, what the wings on the plane was, were, were doing then, the altitude. They're trying to find what caused the crash. We gotta find the black box. Even, even if it's at the bottom of the ocean, where is the black box? And we've only got about 30 days to find it because that ping is gonna stop. But it's really not black, it's orange. But we call it the black box. I use that to say we are not righteous in ourselves. But God calls us righteous because of his son, Jesus Christ. We have no righteousness in ourselves that God accepts. Our righteousness is like a filthy rag in God's sight. So in order to remedy that problem, God imputes, freely gives, places the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, upon us. That's imputed righteousness. Then as we begin to live the life of the mature Christian, that imputed righteousness then becomes imparted righteousness. See, we're saved through imputed righteousness. We give evidence of that salvation through imparted righteousness. We're saved by Jesus' righteousness. And we are called to demonstrate that righteousness through imparted righteousness. But you cannot have imparted righteousness without imputed righteousness righteousness so the bible says put on the breastplate of righteousness have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace again using the roman soldiers um, um warrior uh, outfit as a metaphor here above all taking the shield of faith why because the devil is going to throw a lot of fiery darts at you he's going to throw a lot of darts with poisonous tips on them He's going to throw a lot of fiery darts at you. He's going to throw a lot. Remember John the Baptist got put in jail for, for telling Herod and Herodias that they couldn't get married? And John the Baptist got put in jail. John said, John sent some disciples to Jesus and told them to ask Jesus, um, are, you, <laughs> are you the one who should come? Or should we look for another? Now, John knew, John knew that Jesus was the Christ. Number one, he was his cousin. So he knew in the flesh, but, not, but more important than that, the father had said to John, upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon him, the same as he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John knew because the father had told him that. And then at that baptism, when John baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on Jesus. So John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. But now here's John in prison for preaching that this man didn't have a right to marry this woman because it was his brother's wife. And John had had the boldness to preach and say, that's wrong. You can't do that. So John ended up in prison. I don't know how long he was there, but he eventually sent some of his disciples because all great teachers back then had disciples who would follow them. And John sent some of his disciples to Jesus saying, um, are, you, are you he who should come or should we look for another? I believe that Satan had thrown some fiery darts of doubt. John's way. And so the Bible says, put on the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Satan is, is putting fear into the minds of people concerning this virus. I can't speak for unsaved people, 
But I can tell saved people, you have nothing to fear. Not even fear itself. You have nothing to fear. And I'm not guaranteeing you, not, I'm not guaranteeing you that you're not going to die. 